Let's turn to Philippians chapter 2. And so before the retreat, I did a five-part sermon series on eschatology, which is pretty much the study of the end times. And so for those who weren't able to get that sermon series, I want to encourage you to go onto our podcast and listen to all five sermons. And so today I am preaching a message that uh, is new. It's not not part of this sermon series because the sermon series is now over. (laughs) Let's look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 12 and 13. These were actually the theme verses of our retreat. As we look at this together. I'm going to read in the ESV. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Amen. My beloved, as you have always obeyed. You know, one thing that I can say about New Philly is that we are a church community that really walks steadfastly before God. A people of which, uh, just like the Apostle Paul was writing to the church at Philippi. You know, if I were to write a letter to New Philly, you know, it would, I would also be able to say, as you have always obeyed, you guys are continually Seeking to walk in obedience before God. To walk in a way that's going to please the heart of God. And so the church of Philippi have that kind of mark as well. And it says here, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. The Apostle Paul did a lot of church planning in his day. And there was only one Apostle Paul. So he could not be at all these multiple locations at once. And yet these churches, they prospered. And yet these churches, they matured. They continued to grow and they just, they continue to take a stand for the gospel of Christ. Well, in that same way, although Pastor Aaron and I, the lead pastors of this church, we can't be at Itaewon every Sunday. We can't be at the city of Pusan every week. We have not been down in Sydney since we started yet. Although we are not there physically present, yet, just like the church of Philippi, much more in my absence, you guys can work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You know, if I could clone myself, all right, if I could clone myself, that would be convenient. That way, Aaron and I can be at each one of our campuses, but that's not possible. But it's okay that that we don't have to be at each campus physically. Much more in our absence. We want to exhort all the sons from afar. Just like Christine who shared her testimony just now. Our Sydney team. Our Seaside church plant. Our Itaewon church plant. Church plants that we're going to continue to go on and do. Maybe in Japan. Maybe in India. Maybe in Malaysia. More and more Malaysians come here. I have no choice. (laughs) Wherever our church goes on to do church plants, much more in our absence. 
You guys work out your salvation. You guys keep fighting the good fight. You keep doing the things, faithful things that you know please the heart of God. Because all of it is producing a fruit that's going to the glory of our Father. So it says here, not only in my presence, but much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Work out your own salvation. Turn to your neighbor, tell him, work out your own salvation. Now, in verse 12 and 13, this is the imperative verb. This is the command that Apostle Paul is giving to the church. Work out your salvation. But if you notice in verse 12, there's a word, therefore. I heard a wise Bible teacher once say, whenever you see a therefore, find out what it's there for. Some of you just got set free just now, right? Wow, whole new world. So what, what, why is therefore, what is it therefore? Let's look at verse 1 through 11, which are the preceding verses of chapter 2. Look at Philippians 1 through 11. I'm going to read that out loud. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy... Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Verse 3, do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility. Count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Verse 5, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours, which is you already possess in Christ Jesus. Have this mind. Who? uh, Have this mind in Christ Jesus. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, work out your salvation. So what is therefore? Why is it there? What is it there for? Okay. So you could read it like this. So it says... Uh, Verse 1, so if there's any encouragement in Christ, have you been encouraged in Christ through this community? Have you been encouraged at the retreat? So the if here is an easy answer. If you have been encouraged, if you have encouragement in Christ, we need to just turn that into a since. Since you have encouragement in Christ, work out your salvation. Since Any comfort from love. Since you have comfort from his love. Comfort from the love of the community. Since you have participation in the spirit. How many of you guys got some participation in the spirit at the retreat? No matter what kind of background you had. Whether you were naturally Pentecostal. 
Presbyterian, Baptist, whether you believe in the Holy Spirit or you believe in spiritual gifts or not, whatever background you had at the retreat, God reached out and he touched each and every person. He touched them in very specific ways. You know, there were so many testimonies, just like Christine's, where they were just thinking things to themselves, saying things under their breath, whispering things to God. And then the the guest speaker or one of our pastors will come by and pray the exact words that they were repeating in their heads. Now, none of us, we're, none of us are mind readers. We're just those who are led by the Spirit of God. God searches your heart. The Holy Spirit searches your heart. He knows what's on your heart. And so as He brings this person to come and pray for you, He inspires them to pray in such a specific way that you experience the love and power of God. So at this retreat, we have people participate in the Spirit. So since you have any, since you have participation in the Spirit, work out your salvation. Since you had affection and sympathy, did you experience affection and sympathy at your small groups at the retreat? Have you been experienced that in, in your community groups? Community groups, you guys have been experiencing some sympathy, <laughs> some love, some affection. Since you are experiencing all of these things, therefore, work out your salvation. God is pouring out his love, his grace, his blessings upon your life. We don't have time for this. You know, for people who've experienced all this stuff, Satan's going to still try to deceive you and say, you know, you're all alone. Nothing happened at the retreat. Oh, that stuff is just temporary. Now, Satan's going to try to deceive you in that way. But the Apostle Paul is writing here to Church of Philippi and saying, look, he knows this is, these aren't ifs. He knows that this is what the Church of Philippi has already been experiencing. And since you've been experiencing all of these graces and all of these blessings, he's saying, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, work out your salvation. Work out, not just your salvation, but work out your own salvation. There's a Greek word there. Al2. Which makes it very personal. Work out. Nobody else can work out your own salvation for you but you. Since you've been experiencing all these great blessings, the Apostle Paul says, work out your salvation. Work out your own salvation. Now, what does it mean to work it out? What's it mean to work out your salvation? Uh, you can look at some of the exhortations from verses 1 to 11. It can shed light on what it looks like for us as individuals and us as a community to work out our salvation. Look with me here. Look at verse 2. Complete my joy by being of the same mind. Everyone say, be of the same mind. Be of the same mind. So he's talking about here a community. But he's also talking about you as an individual. Be of the same mind, have the same love, and be in full accord and, and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. In other words, verse 3 and 4 says, don't be proud, don't be proud, don't be prideful. Learn to look out for the interests of others. Don't be so selfish. Learn to look out and serve others. 
And look at verse 5. It seems like a repeat. Have this mind among yourselves. So it says, he said earlier here, being of the same mind and being of one mind. And then he says again, have this mind among yourselves. Three times he says, have this mind, have one mind, be of one mind, be united. You as an individual and you as a community have this mind. And what is this mind talking about? says here in verse 5, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So what's Apostle Paul saying? He's saying you already have it. This mindset, this pattern of thinking. Remember at the retreat, Pastor Benjamin talked about the pattern of Gentile thinking. He talked about how in Romans it says, do not give in to these patterns of Gentile thinking, which leads to futility. But we as the body of Christ, we need to have a different kind of mindset, a different kind of pattern of thinking. And that same mind is already ours. And so we just need to act it out. We need to work it out. What is it? It's in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form. He humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him from and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow, every tongue confess. All right, praise the Lord. Be of the same mind as that of Christ Jesus. You want to work out your salvation? You got to continually bring your mind back to the center. If you got Jesus at the center, you bring your mindset, no matter how much it strays, no matter how much you're tempted to wander, no matter how many deceiving voices tries to tempt you away from the blessings you've already received. You always want to come back to the center. Center yourself on Christ. Have the same mind as that of Christ. That's certainly one way in which we can work out our salvation is to have this same mind. Let's go to verse 12 again. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. How are we to work out our salvation? Now, some denominations, they take this verse to mean and they interpret it to mean that we have to never presume That we have the salvation of God. But it always needs to be worked out through good works. Worked out through participating in certain sacraments. Like the the communion. Or different forms of communion. Where you take the bread and the wine. Some denominations will take this verse. And say we should never presume. That we have eternal life. We'll never know. Until you die. And God judges you. You will not know until you find out before him in his presence. But that kind of interpretation does not fit well with the rest of scripture. What the apostle Paul always teaches is you have been saved by grace through faith. It is a past tense. It is a done deal. 
So for everyone who receives Christ, God gives them the right to become children of God. So salvation is never a matter of you working it out in terms of you not knowing if you're a true Christian or not. And trying to live a good life to prove that you are a good Christian. And then hopefully when you appear before God on judgment day, he'll be convinced that you're a good Christian too. That's not what the scripture teaches. Scripture instead teaches that you are saved by the grace of God. For those who call on the name of Jesus, if you believe in your heart, you confess it with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. It doesn't say you might be saved or you, you will begin the process of your salvation. It says you will be saved. Salvation is a gift. And, and this great gift of God, this gift of eternal life, cannot be earned. It is entirely a gift. And gifts need to be received. If I have a rich uncle, let's say I have a rich uncle, and he owns like an oil company. He's got all kinds of money coming out of his ears and, and mouth. He's got a lot of, a lot of money. <clears throat> and he knows uh, that I don't have enough money to buy myself a luxury car, but he wants to just bless me. He's like, man, you are doing such a great job over there leading that church. You know, I want to buy you an Audi. Audi A8 or Mercedes S-Class, you know. I'm going to buy you a Mercedes. And I'm like, oh, thanks, uncle. You're one of the best uncles in the world. Thank you. Wow. What are you going to do that for me? Right? What's the best thing to do there? If he offers like that and he has the means to deliver, what do you do? You just receive it. Thank you, uncle. Where do I get that key? You just receive it. What kind of foolishness would it be if I took out my wallet and said, Hey, uncle, um, I've been saving up some money. And here, I got like about $800 in savings. I just want to give you something. I just want to pay for it in some way. I feel so miyane. I feel so, so bad just receiving this gift for free. So let me give you a little bit of money to help pay for this car. That's complete foolishness. In view of the gift... In view of the weight of the gift that you're receiving, throwing in $800 of your good works is foolishness. If you try to do that, it's no longer grace. You're trying to earn and work your way to receive God's gift of eternal life. So scripture always teaches, and this is what the reformers, they painfully agonize to restore back to the church was the true gospel. The gospel that says, the good news of Jesus Christ is that He died on the cross to offer the gift of eternal life for all who will receive it. All who will put their faith, who will turn from their sins, repent, and put their faith in Christ. God will give them the gift of eternal life. So how are we to interpret this verse? Work out your salvation. 
If we already have salvation, it's a past tense thing. It's a done deal. It's a gift we already have. For every person who calls himself a Christian, it's a gift you already have. How are we supposed to interpret this verse, work it out? With fear and trembling, by the way. Everything seems to say that this is talking about make sure that you get to heaven. Make sure that you be a good Christian so that you can work it out. But no, this passage is not talking about working out your salvation in terms of your forgiveness of your sins, in terms of the eternal, uh, the gift of eternal life. This is talking about work out your salvation, work out your own salvation, meaning work it out and be and exhibit and display yourselves as a people that have already been saved. Since God has given you this great gift of salvation, work it out so other people can tell that you are a person who is saved. You are a person that's free from condemnation. You are a person who is walking free from demonic bondage. You know, there are a lot of people in the church, they need severe healing and deliverance because of different traumas that they've gone through in their life, because of different sin patterns that have created different bondage in their life because they've gone and seen a psychic. They have seen a tarot card reader. They have gone and seen a mudang. They have gone and seen pulse readers, all kinds of occultic activity. People go and dabble with these things. And when you dabble with these sins, it opens up a doorway for demonic bondage in your life. And if that is not legally taken care of through the word of God, that bondage is going to continue to fester and you're just going to end up passing that down to your children. There's a lot of people in the body of Christ. They need severe, they need healing and deliverance. And so they live their lives going to church under this heavy bondage. And it's a pure, it's a, it's a terrible witness for Christ. Because people who are non-believers, they see that and they're like, whoa, I don't want to live that kind of life. Well, that person is going through the same kinds of bondage, same kinds of addictions, same kinds of depression as I am. What difference does it make? I don't want that. And so for the church's failure to work out our salvation, it is bringing a deceptive picture of what it means to be a people saved by God. See, if Christians, all they do is take their ticket, I'm going to heaven. Their ticket to heaven ticket. You know, they just grab it and they say, all right, I'm in. I'm good. I just need to now just try my best to go to church, read my Bible, pray a little bit here and there. I'm good. I'm set. When Christians do that, we fail to work out our salvation. We are treating the gift of God. We're spurning the grace of God. That's where Christians begin to think, well, if I sin and grace abounds, then maybe I should sin more so grace can abound even more. That's the kind of foolish thinking that comes into the mindset of every Christian that doesn't work out their salvation with fear and trembling. So today in the church, we need people that not only believe they're saved, but they're willing to work it out 
and begin to live their lives in such a way that they display the characteristics of a people that have been redeemed by God. And so that process, we call that sanctification. Right? And so when you firmly believe that you are saved and you have the gift of eternal life and you have the forgiveness of sins, that's called justification. That is a one-time deal. That is a moment, a one-moment experience. You can experience that and you begin to believe that the moment you receive Christ. It's not a process. It's a done deal. That's called justification. Where God says, my wrath was ready to be poured out on your personal sin. And I would have been just in doing that. But because you have received the blood of Jesus over your sin. I now declare you not just forgiven, but I declare you justified. We got justification down. But the church, we have all kinds of creative ideas about what sanctification looks like. The working out, working out our salvation. We have all kinds of creative ideas of what salvation, uh, working out our salvation looks like. Sanctification. And, uh, you know, in sanctification... There are some groups of people, which I will not name. I've, I've said that before, but I ended up naming them. But <laughs> I will try my best not to name them. They have what's called an over-realized sanctification. There are certain groups, they believe that if you try really hard, you can attain perfect sanctification on this earth. Like, you can attain perfection and perfect holiness while you're living on this earth before you die. But you got you to work really hard. You got you to gotta really put boundaries around yourselves, restrictions around yourselves. Now you're looking at me weird, but some of you came from churches that believe this doctrine. It's ingrained in some denominations. And so what happens is when this over-realized sanctification gets taught in certain churches... We try so hard to make it happen. Man tries so hard to make it happen. There comes these long lists of do's and don'ts. Some churches, they will forbid, they will have certain laws like girls cannot wear miniskirts two inches or less above the knee or something like that. Or, you know, they will say you can't wear jewelry to church. You know, you got to watch the, your neckline for some of the girls. You, gotta, you can't wear a uh, tank top to church for the men, something like that. You, hairstyles. Now, it may sound funny, but in churches that have this kind of over-realized sanctification, they really push that. But the trouble with that is it puts too much of the burden to be sanctified on man. And so it's already destined for failure. And it results a lot of times in religion. A lot of religion, but not a lot of heart change. A lot of external behavioral control, but not a lot of heart change. This is what the Pharisees experienced. They really wanted, they started from a good intention. We want to please God. We want to follow his ways. We want to follow his law and honor and observe his laws. And they kept to the letter. There was so much of man involved. They kept to the letter of the law, 
even at the cost of honoring the spirit of that law. So, in today's churches, we need a balanced view of sanctification. You know, there are some churches, they're so focused on justification only, right? They just live life very carelessly. And they will go have an adulterous affair and think, well, God's going to forgive me anyway. And they have a very loose approach toward their sanctification. Because they go, well, you can't really attain perfection on this earth. So why even try? Or, you know, we don't have to really try that hard. It's God's sovereignty. He's going to work it all out anyway. And so in, the, in those kinds of underrealized sanctifications, you have a very cavalier attitude towards sin. You have a cavalier attitude towards spiritual disciplines. You know, they say things like, you know, oh, you like to fast? Well, God bless you. Uh, good luck, you know, bless you on all your fasting. But for me, I got the grace of God. For me, I'm just depending on the grace of God. But we need a balance. We need a balance. Amen? Amen. So this verse is a great summary of a balanced view of sanctification. And let me show you why. The Apostle Paul here, throughout verses 1 through 12, he's telling the church uh, church of Philippi, Work out your salvation. Be of the same mind. Look out for the interests of others. Consider Jesus, the author of your faith. Consider the attitude of his mind. And take that mind upon yourselves. Be united together. And work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Meaning, take it seriously. Every cavalier, careless attitude... Towards you dealing with sin problems in your life needs to go. You got to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. You cannot just say, I'm going to be forgiven anyway. You know, you say that all your life and you're going to live this oppressed life, this life that lacks victory, this life that does not reflect the glory of God. There's going to be no joy for you when you appear before Jesus. Or when Jesus comes down. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's our part. We work it out. But check this out. Verse 13. For it is God who works in you. Both to will and to work. For his good pleasure. What? Here the Apostle Paul is like giving instructions and exhortations to man, right? Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you. What? Work out your salvation, for it is God who works in you. Doesn't that make no sense? Do you see the tension there? And what looks like a contradiction of emphasis is actually a balanced sanctification that Paul is holding to. You got to do your part. Read the preceding verses. Do your part. Take on this attitude of your mind. Work out your salvation. That's your part. For it is God who works in you. 
That's God's part. So what's a balanced sanctification look like? A balanced sanctification is you do everything on your end that you know you're responsible for. And then where you feel like, you know, oh, man, I don't even know if I see any progress. Oh, I don't know if I should keep doing this. I know my, why should I keep waking up and having my quiet times? Why should I go to the place of prayer? You know, maybe I'm not seeing the fruit that I'm hoping for. You know, this, when, whenever you feel disillusionment or despair, that's where you need verse 13. For it is God who works in you. The part that you are doing, you see. But the part that God is doing, you don't always see. And that's why by faith, you have to believe he's constantly doing it. It is God who works in you both to will and to work. Remember the word work in verse 12? Work out your salvation. I thought that was our part. Here, Apostle Paul says, no, it is God who works in you both to will and to work. And NIV says both to will and to act. According to his good purpose. So wherever we think. Oh man. I got to work this out. Oh man. I feel like I'm falling behind. Oh no. I'm, I'm not working this out very well. As you keep doing what you're doing. You keep doing what you're doing. Because it's producing a harvest of righteousness in your life. It is producing a godliness. That you will be able to tangibly observe. Over the long run. Stay faithful. Stay fat. Step fast. You know, sometimes you might, in this community, you might be working it out. You might be doing your part, believing and pressing in and praying, coming out to Sunday swim. You know, come, come out to Sunday swim, y'all. When you work out your salvation, you should be at our church prayer meetings. I don't care if you're not on leadership. If you feel the Spirit of God leading you to join this community, I would encourage you, come out to our prayer meetings. That's where you work it out. It's one thing. Any knucklehead can receive a prophecy. Any knucklehead can receive a promise of God. You know, the Lord, he says that he's going to do this in your life. He's going to use you in these mighty ways. You know, I've seen so many young people get prophecies from mighty men of God for awesome, big, huge callings. But then they fall away right after they receive that prophecy. Because they're not willing to work it out, right? You got to go to that place of prayer. You got to go to Go to K1 and, and nurture that devotional life that only you can do. And when you do your part, God will be behind the scenes doing his part. And the cool thing is when he does work in you, he does it according to his good Pleasure. Now, this Greek word is eudokia. Everyone say eudokia. So here is an ESV translates it according to his good pleasure. He wills and he causes you to act according to his good pleasure. NIV says good purpose can also be translated as his intention. God has a purpose. He has a will for your life. He also has certain things that he takes pleasure in. Like this same word, eudokia, is used by Jesus in Matthew eleven twenty six and Luke ten twenty one, where he says, In that same hour he rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, 
Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and educated and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. Such was your eudokia. Such was your good pleasure. You know, God has pleasure in hiding the mysteries of his kingdom, hiding the richness of his revelation from people who have master's degrees, not that, you know, master's degrees are bad, and and doctorate degrees and double doctorate degrees and whatever, all these different degrees that in the Korean culture is highly esteemed. God loves to take that stuff from from all those highly educated people and hides them from them. And reveals it to 16-year-olds that attend a retreat and get blasted by the Holy Spirit for the first time. You know, God gets pleasure out of that. That bothered the religious leaders of Jesus' day. That the disciples that Jesus chose to surround himself were tax collectors and fishermen. Rather than the seminary students of that day. Rather than the full-time pastors of that day. Rather than the scholars of that day, Jesus surrounded himself with a lot of blue-collar people. Now, you guys, you guys are kind of like in the middle. You're not quite white-collar. You ain't making that much money. I know how much y'all are making. Not that I look at your income or anything like that. I just look at, look, I just look at you. I can tell how much y'all make. <laughs> you guys aren't white-collar. You guys aren't really blue-collar either. You guys are kind of in the middle. And, I think that's what's beautiful about New Philly. We can infiltrate both. We can empathize with both. We're not like so, you know, you know, high class and wealthy. Oh, you know. <laughs> what? Your family? What kind of family background do you have? What? Where were you educated? Oh, I don't associate with you. Like, we're not like that. Right? Many of us, we, we have college educations, but we don't, when we hear somebody doesn't have a college education, we don't take that to, to put, make ourselves feel better than them. We don't say, oh, we can't work with you. You know, if you have a master's degree and you sign up for a community group and we place you in a community group with a community group leader that doesn't, that barely graduated from high school, we're going to do that. You know why? Because that's God's good pleasure. God loves that kind of stuff. He's like, yeah, take all of the doctorate and master's degree holding people and put them in that small group with that person who just barely graduated high school. God gets pleasure out of that. Eudokia. God is God who works in you both to will and to act. Now, that doesn't, doesn't that sound like a puppet to you? Does that sound like a puppet to you? He doesn't just influence you like, Louis, stop going that way. And then Louis starts going this way. No, like, it's like God puts the spirit in Louis, and Louis's like, I'm determined to go back to um, Montreal or whatever. And I'm determined to go back to Montreal and become a millionaire. And God puts it in his heart. And all of a sudden, Louis goes, I got a great idea. Now, all of a sudden, I feel like I want to stay in Korea and, and marry one of these beautiful new Philly women. <laughs> And I want to build a house of God and I want to fund the K-1 training school and it opens up in the future. I'm so glad I thought of that. That's what it looks like. 
God is, when you do your part to work out your salvation, God is doing his part. Both to will and to act. Both for you to will and to act according to his good pleasure. Now that might sound like puppeteering to y'all. But let me tell you something right now. It's not puppeteering. It's the people of God that are filled by the spirit of God. They're so filled with the spirit of God that they're willing to yield their own personal ambitions to follow gladly the will of God, the call of God for their lives. They're willing to lay down their ideas of what financial stability is to make a long-term commitment to a country where whenever they go to the subway, people are staring at them. They're willing to make a long-term commitment to that country and build a movement of God, a spiritual movement that they see God raising up. That's what it means for God to will and to act is that you're so filled by the spirit of God that God changes your direction. God changes your desires. God changes it according to his good purpose, according to his good pleasure. Now, why I feel like that's really reassuring and gives peace to the body of Christ, although it looks like it's bordering on puppeteering. What, what I'm saying is it's not puppeteering. It's because God is filling you with his spirit. Now at the retreat, if you really didn't want to be filled with the spirit, this is how you have to pray during the retreat. Lord, please don't fill me with the spirit. Please don't touch me with that stuff. Please keep that stuff away from me. That's how you would have to pray. Because our retreats, man, God was just pouring out his spirit on everybody. If, you're, if you were like neutral, you got it. If you stood there like, ah, yeah, if you're here, Lord, touch me. If you're not, I don't know. <laughs> like, if you were neutral, I mean, God touched you. Even if you were opposed to it, God removed the hindrances from your heart. You know, I heard the testimonies of people on, by day two, they were opposed to it. They were ridiculing. I think some girl was like, like almost mocking or, or like just saying how uncomfortable she was with watching another girl fall to the ground and start screaming and was like you know what's wrong with that girl you know i i, I can't be god is that god I, I, I that's so weird that's so strange right and then the next day she got blasted by the holy spirit and she was screaming on the ground it's god's good pleasure <laughs> now you don't think god has a sense of humor man you are dead wrong god is a pretty funny guy I mean, can you, can, you, can, you see Jesus, can you see God the Father in heaven? You know, all these Pharisees, they think they know it all. They think they know it all. I'm hide the revelation from them. <laughs> and reveal it to these fishermen. Oh, they got it. <laughs> like God, God gets pleasure out of that. And God gets pleasure out of blasting the person who thought it was weird the day before. It's not puppeteering when God wills and acts according to his good purpose. It's not puppeteering. It's because God invites you. Be filled with my spirit. And when you get filled with his spirit, it says in Ezekiel, I will put my spirit in you and cause you to walk according to my ways and commandments. You know, the biggest key for spiritual breakthroughs in young people's lives is, the one big key, the one that is like, if there was a shortcut to get somebody from 
backsliddenness, apathy, you know, depression to a place where they're like, like Josh Lee, like just running for Jesus and annoying his classmates by humming, deep cries out and deep cries out. You know how you get them there? It's to fill them with the Spirit of God. You know how you get a bunch of cowardly 120 disciples gathering in an upper room, scared that they're gonna, the Roman authorities are going to find them, scared that the Jewish authorities are going to find them? You know how you get them from that place of cowardliness to a place of boldness and courage? You pour out the Spirit upon them on the day of Pentecost. It's the outpouring of the Spirit. And whenever someone receives the outpouring of the Spirit, and you go on out of that retreat, and you work it out, you work out your salvation with fear and trembling, God's going to be filling you with the Spirit to work out His will for your life. He's going to cause you both to will and to act according to His good pleasure. He's going to be doing that as He fills you with His Spirit. Now this means that if you sometimes feel like You know, am I on God's plan for my life? I feel a little bit lost. What what am I doing in Korea of all places? Am I supposed to be in the city of Sydney? Am I supposed to be in this job and career that I'm in? Am I supposed to be in full-time ministry? You know, whenever you feel these moments of, man, what, what if I just missed it? What if I got here by... By a, a set of choices that had nothing to do with the will of God. Whenever you feel like that, you got to read verse 13 right here. Because if you have been abiding in him and he's been abiding in you. If you have been walking in accordance to the spirit as he fills you with his spirit. You're right where you need to be. Because what you thought were your choices were actually God who was working in you. While you were working it out. God was working it out too. That's why the Christian life is such a a big story of grace. God takes the initiative on things that you forgot about a while ago. You know, there's another verse in Philippians 1 that's very uh, popular. 1.6 He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion on the day of Jesus Christ. He who began a good work in you. He began the work. You work it out too, but he's the one who began that work. And then as you work it out, he's working behind the scenes, and he's going to complete the work. So you don't ever have to despair. So what if progress looks slow? You, you might just be in your hidden season. You might, God might be just working, out, work, working things out for your good that you can't quite observe yet. You can't quite tangibly analyze yet, but God's working in you. Yeah. You know, we're a, young, we're a young congregation. People here age 16 <laughs> to like 40 plus, right? But the average age in here is probably like 26. We're, that's a young congregation. We have our whole lives ahead of us. We're young, right? Why are you laughing? We are young. We are young.
God's working in you. And the big thing for a young person that God works in is character. It's character and a mindset pattern that's Christ-like. Those are probably two of the biggest things that young people lack. It's character and their pattern of thinking. It's very worldly. And a lot of times, God uses all kinds of things to establish a new pattern of thinking, the mindset of Christ. He also uses a lot of different things to establish character in your life, in your youth. For those who have a mighty calling, the bigger calling you have, the more intense the seasons of wilderness may seem. Because the greater the level of character you need to uphold that calling. So you might be at your job and you might feel like you're like Joseph locked up in the prison. Man, my, my, my job feels like a prison, feels like a dungeon. Well, you're, you're right where you need to be. You don't have to think, man, maybe I should quit this job. You know, there's some, some people, they, they feel like, man, I thought this job, man, so much favor was on this job. God led me to this job. Let me, come on, I'm talking to some of you right now. Right? I, I got prayer from Pastor Christian. The same week I got prayer from Pastor Christian, I got like five job offers. And then I took the one where the favor of the Lord was upon. So I took that job. And once I got the job, I was like, hallelujah, I got the job, the plan of God on my life. Hallelujah. And after about six months, it feels like a prison. So Pastor Christian, can you pray for me again? Pray for you for what? The favor of God led you here. Pray for me to find a different job. Can you pray for favor for a different job? Are you sure? Yes. And you know what? Sometimes I'll be like, you just need to stay there because your character, you just need a little bit more. You, you know, that, that boss is helping you out over there. You need to yield. You need to be under authority to be in authority. Look, check, I just want, I want to say that, but you know, I meet, I meet people where they're at in their faith. And God's so gracious. You know, God's prompted me at times to be like, don't say that. Just pray for favor for another job. So I'll pray for favor for another job. And amazingly, two weeks later, they get another job. And they're like, hallelujah, God is leading me to another job. Favors are so much favored in an interview process. You know, the interviewer told me that, you know, I was one of the best candidates that day. And yes, the favor of God is on me that they get that other job. And it feels like a prison again. <laughs> in all of those job searches and job landings, God is actually, if you're doing your part, God is certainly doing his part. Even when you're neglecting your part, God's still doing his part. He's actually producing a whole lot of character in you. He's actually producing a whole lot of new mindsets, new patterns of thinking in you. And you keep trying to reach up to get to that, to that place of authority where I have my own company. Where I, where, where I start... Leading a Fortune 500 company. I reach up. I want to get my marriage on. I want to get married already. <laughs> you need character as well for marriage. You know, but the thing with marriages, man, God just, psh, he just, he's, you really want it? Psh, there you go. I notice that God does that. I'll, I'll look at people. I'll be like, man, you know, you should, you should really just spend a little bit more season of singleness. You know, young man, you need, you need to really, 
You know, you need to, God's working on your character. You need a little bit more season of singleness, you know. They'll be like, no, 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 just pray. Or, or a sister will come up and just cry. I'm all, you know, I just want to get married. I just want to get married. <laughs> all right. All right, Lord, help them get married. Boom, they get married. They're not ready. With marriage, God just, he just lets you get married. Because you know what? Marriage is what, ready or not, I mean, marriage will start sanctifying you right away. You all think marriage is great. Marriage is great. Hallelujah. <laughs> marriage is wonderful. Oh, but let me tell you, marriage is so much more than that. Marriage is one sanctification process that you can't run away from. It's tough. What am I trying to say? <laughs> you guys have been encouraged. You have participated in the spirit. You have experienced the love and affection of God's community. You've been experiencing all these joys and blessings and breakthroughs. Now, because you have received it, therefore, have the same mindset as that of Christ. Serve others. Be humble. And work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Aim to display and behave and be a people that have been redeemed, that have been saved. All the while, in the back of your mind, having confidence that as you do your part, God's doing his part to work in you, both to act, both to will and to act according to his good purpose. That's a balanced sanctification view. That's the way we need to continue to live our Christian lives. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I just thank you that each and every person in here, you are sanctifying them through and through. And Father, I pray that all these blessings that they have received in their small groups, in their Emmaus campus ministry, at the retreat, all these blessings, breakthroughs that they've been receiving, they were recognized that all of that is also given to them, not only to enjoy and be with you, but also for them to be shaped and molded in the hands of the potter. So I pray that, Lord, that they won't become spiritual junkies that just go after one spiritual high from an, to another. But they will be a people that work it out. They will be a people who are fit, fit for the work of the kingdom. We don't want spiritual junkie Christians. We don't want fat Christians. We want fit Christians, Lord. A people that Work out their salvation with fear and trembling while at the same time trusting that God is working all things out for their good. God is working in them both to will and to act according to his good pleasure. Pray that the dreams that people have been dreaming in this room 
the callings that they have heard you whisper into their ears. They will just continue to trust and believe and hold down those words. Continue to release faith for those words. Because as you work all this out, you're leading them to their callings. Even when we can't see, you're leading them to your perfect will. In fact, they are already walking in your perfect will. You know, right now I want to take a moment and I want to pray for people who are, who are not at the retreat. And like I promised, the blessings of this retreat, they're going to overflow into your life. So if you were not at the retreat, whether you're a church member, leader, guest, I want to take a moment just to pray for you. If that's you, I just want you to stand from where you are. And we're just going to pray for you that the impartations, the revelation, the teachings are all available on our Facebook page. That they will reach you in a deep level. As you listen to it on your iPhones, as you listen to it on your subway commutes. That that revelation will hit you deeper than even people who physically sat there during the retreat. It's not that God has forgotten about you or because of your schedule not working out, He doesn't want to bless you. You're going to see here that it is God who works in you, both to will and to act according to His good pleasure. He wants to bless you even though you were not at the retreat. He wants to bless you today. He wants to bless you in a powerful way. You don't have to feel left behind. You don't have to feel left out. The reason we share these testimonies is so that you can believe that what God has done for someone else, God will do for you. Yeah. Yeah, If you're standing up, I want to invite you up to the front. Why don't you just go ahead and come make your way to the front. Let's have the altar ministers and pastors. We're going to pray for them for a moment. Come on.